are you ready? out there and welcome to another edition of the ultimate fight show i'm your host lc and with me is a very somber my co-host from atlanta chris bragg bragg how you holding up out there uh you, you know i'm a big boy um I'm, I'm trying my best to keep it together and handle it uh, uh but i'm doing okay man it's it's, it's all good the they'll be back next year and Spring training for Major League Baseball opens up next week. So uh, there's my light at the end of the tunnel. All right. In case you don't know what we're talking about or we're living under a rock, we were speaking about the debacle of the Atlanta Falcons who somehow found a way to blow a 28-3 lead with 17 minutes left in the Super Bowl. We'll get to that later. Spare my co-host the uh, reliving that right now. But – the show must go on, and we got a really big UFC 208, huge show, second of the year, first real, you know, card of the year, but second major production that the UFC's put on. We're also going to recap UFC fight night, tell you what happened with the Korean zombie and Dennis Bermudez, and give you all the information in the new rankings and pound-for-pound list. But first, let's get to the particulars. You're listening to The Ultimate Fight Show you want to call in, the number is 1-657-383-1412. You can also find us on Blog Talk Radio, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Bragg, you want to hit them with those? Of course I can. The Ultimate Fight Show is where you'll find us. Uh, you can find us at The Ultimate Fight Show on Facebook and Instagram. The Ult Fight Show on Twitter. All right, let's talk about the uh, fight night that took place. We called uh, six fights on this card, broke them down. We'll start with the women in the strawweight division, who I thought put on a hell of a fight and actually ended up winning fight of the night honors. Jessica Andrade, Angela Hill, just a knockdown dragout fight. Uh, One knockdown by Hill on a nice forearm smash into the face of Andrade just when it looked like Hill was getting was ready to give up. Uh, this is a fight, right, that saw both women combine for 250 strikes that landed. A lot of punches for a women, woman fight. And in the end, Jessica Andrade was able to win the unanimous decision. And both of us, I think, had Andrade. I know I did. I have to go back and look at the sheet. But, uh, Brad, what would you think of the fight? Yeah, it was an absolute great fight. We knew going in that these two guys, these two gals, rather, uh, were pretty evenly matched, and they they just went out there, left it all on the line, and just put on a great performance. And yes, we both had and both had it. Just kind of tried to win that fight. 
Uh, we'll take the win. It was a very good fight, worthy of fight of the night honors. Absolutely, and that fight now has prompted Dana White to say that Jessica Andrade will be the next challenger to Joanna Jinchacek's title at 115 pounds. That fight will probably take place sometime in eh, probably later spring, early, maybe June. Moving on, Anthony Hamilton, Marcel Fortuna. Now, this was a fight where um, we both thought that Fortuna would win, but I thought he would win by knockout. You thought he would win by submission. And in the end, Fortuna won in the first round by knockout. It was uh, very eye-opening, I thought, uh, for Marcel. This guy's very well-rounded. Brad, you know a little bit more about him. What did you think from Marcel, and what did we – what can we expect moving forward from this guy? Well, it was definitely a coming out party. Of, of course, the uh, show being uh, a highlighted event for the weekend um, there in Houston. He came out and he did his job. You know, a knockout punch uh, three minutes into the first round. Uh, Anthony Hamilton's a big, tough dude, but Marcel Fortuna looks like he has got all the tools to be a contender in the heavyweight division. Uh, I'll be real interested to see where he goes from here. Expect him to get a little bit of a bigger-named opponent coming up soon, possibly in the spring or early summer. Yeah. All right, moving on. Light heavyweights, we had Ovid St. Prue, OSP, against Volkan Esdemir. Now, this was a fight that we both thought OSP was going to bounce back from the Jones fight like he did in his last fight. and. Uh, keep that steam rolling going, getting himself back into the picture. But uh, this was a knockout. This was the kind of fight where a lot of things are happening, but it's not the kind of fight that you want the way that you want it to happen. Bragg, 103 punches landed by Volkan um, to 79. And in the end, that was enough to give him the split decision in the eyes of the judges. My question to you is, a lot of people thought Ovin St. Preux won the fight but again numbers don't lie and 24 more significant punches did the judges get this one right i think so um i was i'd watched the fight twice now and uh, both times i got volcom winning that fight it, it was close it was very close but you can't ignore the output uh, you can't you can't ignore those numbers and uh volcom did enough to edge osp out and it brings up a, a point about OSP. You know, he was he was on the cusp of a title shot last year. Uh, he he got the fight against uh, John Jones on late notice. Uh, lost to lost to him then, um, but took him all five rounds, which is something nobody had ever done. And then, I'm sorry, only one other person had ever done. Uh, this was supposed to be a bounce back for OSP, and he didn't get it done. Uh, I, I think he's really got to step up. He's got to impress in this next fight if he wants to continue um, running at the top of that uh, light heavyweight division because it's, it's, that's a stacked division, and it's going to be tough for him to uh, climb out of this hole. He's digging for himself. Well put. Moving on, James Vick, Abel Trulio. I went with Trulio. You went with Vick. Vick impressed. A lot of people, he was able to get the darts choke in the end in the third round after his third submission attempt. 
pretty much neutralized Trulio, who was held to zero takedowns, zero submissions, and only 14 strikes. So uh, in the lightweight division that's now becoming more and more stacked as if it already wasn't. Bragg, what do you see for Vic moving forward? Who would you like to see him fight next? You know, that's that's interesting. I'm not not really sure. I mean, Trill is a good good opponent, and Vic showed up. He did what he had to do to win. I'm not sure if Vic is one of those guys that's ready for the uh, top ten in in the lightweight division. He he's just outside of the top ten in our rankings right now. Uh, I mean. Maybe somebody like Will um, Edson Barbosa, who we've got currently ranked number seven, and we'll discuss all that in a few minutes. Um, you know, some so one of those guys that is um, one of those mid-tier guys. I don't think Vic's ready for the top tier yet, but uh, somebody like Edson Barbosa, I think, would be a good challenge for him. All right, let's get to the co-main event, uh, women's strawweight division again. And this was uh, Felice Herrig, the little bulldog, against Alexa Grazo. Um, I believe we were we both liked Grazo in this fight, and uh, you know it looked like it was going that way, 88 strikes to 66. But the little bulldog landed the harder punches, the cleaner punches, and uh, in the end was able to get the unanimous decision here in what I would call a mild upset, handing Grazo her first loss ever in the cage. Bragg, this was a fight where I thought. Maybe it should have been a draw. I I, I don't know. I, I just did the judges get this one right? And what do you see from these people moving forward? You know, I I think uh, I think they did get it right. I, I thought hearing uh, won that fight as well. Uh, in a fight where the numbers don't always don't necessarily tell uh, the whole story yeah. because Grosso was a little busier, but hearing clearly. Uh, like you said, had the cleaner strikes, um, more significant strikes, and uh, she was able to handle the uh, control the clinch and just push the pace a little bit. Grasso, it was, it was a good fight. It was a good um, effort by her, but I do agree that Felice Herring uh, won that fight by unanimous decision. Um, I agree with the judges. I don't agree with the thirty twenty seven. I think one judge had. I thought Grasso won one of the yeah. rounds. But, um, no, I, I agree. I think Herring uh, won that fight. And, again, she's she's one of those that's going to um, look at possibly getting into contention for that, um, for uh, the uh, strawweight title. All right, the main event, the Korean Zombie coming back from a, a decent amount of time off against Dennis Bermuda, the guy who's been pretty hot as of late. This was a fight. I liked the zombie. I thought he'd get the job done and get a knockout. I didn't think it would come as early as it did. Uh, Towards the end of the first round, the Korean zombie puts Bermudas away violently. Definitely knockout of the night. Could be the early runner for knockout of the year. Bragg, what did you see in this fight, and how serious should we take the Korean zombie moving forward in the featherweight division? Well, I, I was incorrect in my pick here because I thought Dennis Bermudez would use the uh, grappling to 
wear down uh, the Korean zombie you know, after having that almost two-year layoff. Uh, but he didn't give an opportunity to grapple with him. He just he went in there and just blew him up uh, yeah. with that big uppercut. Uh, just a great performance, great comeback win for him. And, yeah, you know, similar to somebody like James Vick, uh, he's not necessarily ready for the top tier again. Uh, but I think he another win or two puts himself in the running for a title shot in that stacked featherweight division. Um, he's going to have to do some work. But in the end, I think he could uh, very well make his way into the top ten and move on up. Yeah, I, I was very impressed. I think he moved up in our rankings, uh, which we're going to release now in our next segment. But, uh, yeah, again, violent, violent ending there with that uppercut. And maybe he's got a new wrinkle. The featherweight division is one of those divisions now that Connor's gone or – essentially the UFC script of him, his title. There's a lot of interesting matches there. I'd like to see uh, the Korean Zombie get in there with maybe a Showtime Pettis, who's coming off of an L to Holloway, and that could be a really nice striking skill showcase. What do you think about that matchup? Well, I I think, uh, I believe Showtime's actually moving back up to lightweight. I don't think we're going to see him again at featherweight, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing... Uh, the Korean Zombie fight somebody like uh, Cub Swanson. I think yeah. that would be a really good fight for both of those guys. Uh, two guys love to go in there and bang, and um, that would be a fight that I would look forward to seeing be made. Here's another one, too, Frankie Edgar. I mean, this is a guy who has, you know, he's championship pedigree. He's a world champion, lifetime top five contender, but he's very small. Could the Korean Zombies' length, length kind of throw him off and keep him at bay? It could be an interesting matchup, as we know styles make fights. Bragg, let's, um, let's start with the heavyweights, the February rankings. We're going to do a little something different uh, on the show, and that is instead of us reading, you know, 10 through 1, all 12 divisions or 10 divisions, et cetera, we're just now for time purposes so we can get more content to you going to tell you who the champion is, who the number one contender is, and then anyone who moved up or into the top ten. And also, if you notice when you go to the Facebook page, the uh, there's an asterisk or a little star next to the champion. Some of them have more, some of them have few. That represents how many title defenses they've actually made in their recent campaign. So I'll take us through and start with the heavyweights. We didn't have a lot of activity, as we know, my hometown, uh, hometown, local hometown hero, Stipe Miocic, is the heavyweight champion of the world. He has made one defense. He did it here in, in C-Town. He will now make his second defense, Bragg, against Junior Dos Santos later this year. What a huge fight. If you remember, listeners, Dos Santos and Miocic actually fought about two and a half years ago, two years ago, in a razor-close fight that saw Dos Santos win a split decision in a fight. I bet on Dos Santos that night, but I thought Myosic won. It's going to be very interesting to see this fight now, two years later, where Myosic, the loser, is now the champion of the world and now taking on the former champ who beat him. Bragg, what do you think about that matchup that was just announced in the last 48 hours? Yeah, that's, that's a hell of a fight, and that's a really dangerous fight for Myosic. I 
Junior Dos Santos, who I don't feel is the same guy he was when he beat Cain Velasquez for the heavyweight title. Um, I think he's he's one of those guys that still has a chance and still one of those top heavyweights in the world. It, it's a dangerous fight, man, and I'm looking forward to it. Have they actually announced a date for that yet, or are they still trying to figure that out? Not the date, not the date, but it is going to happen in Houston. Um. I don't know if we have an actual date yet on that fight, but uh, yes, we do. UFC 211 on May 13th, it will happen. All right, nice. So, nice. huge fight. I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb right now. I mean, it's not a real big limb because he's from my hometown, but I, I agree with what you said. Those wars with Kane where I have no – I mean, when, when Dos Santos knocked out Kane, it was clean. It was 63 seconds in off of an 11-month layoff for Kane. Those two wins by Kane, I mean, he beat Dos Santos up. I have no idea how that guy survived both fights. Well, in the third one, I believe he was stopped in the end. But he's never been the same since then. And then on top of that, he got knocked out by Alistair Overeem, a man who Myosik just knocked out to win, I mean, to defend his title. So I'm going to say, I, I really think is going to knock Dos Santos out in the first round in this, and become the first person ever in the history of the UFC to defend the heavyweight title twice, which is a, another crazy fact, <laughs> you know. But, uh, yeah, it's real big, Brad. It's real big. Let's get back to the uh, the rankings now. We got, again, the number two contender is Fabrizio Verdun, the former champion, who Myosik knocked out to win the title. So, uh, But as far as making a, a debut, Francis Nagano debuts at number nine, fresh off his big win over Vitor Belfort. I'm sorry, over Andre Arlowski at, at 10 and 1. He's somebody to keep an eye on, Bragg. You want to take us, uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening in the light heavyweight division? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, our champion of the lightweight division, the number one fighter in the world in that division is Mr. Daniel Cormier. He's uh, got a date with Anthony Johnson coming up uh, in a month or so. I thought he was also he's our number, the number one contender for that title. Oh, uh, that fight was canceled. That fight was what? canceled. Yeah, I thought, that I thought you heard about it. It happened uh, last week. Um, Johnson got hurt. It's not like canceled, but it's it's being postponed. Oh wow! I, you know, with, with with the last, especially with the last couple of days of my uh, Super Bowl, yeah, my my complete vo- avoidance of anything Sports Center or highlight related. I've just I've lost a little track. I'm trying to get back here. Well, that's breaking news to me. Wow. Um, yeah. But regardless, Anthony Johnson is still the number one contender for that lightweight heavyweight title, and he and Cormier will get it on uh, sooner rather than later, of course. Looks like the rest of the top ten has remained the same. No real movement there. I know Glover Teixeira, who's number six in our rankings, will be fighting this weekend. So that's, uh, uh, that, that's going to be something to look forward to there. Absolutely. Middleweights. We got Michael Bisbing, the count, still the champion. Luke Rockhold, the man he took the strap from at number two, and Yoel Romero at number three, who will challenge Bisbing at a date still to be announced. 
No other change in the top 10. So we will move to the welterweights where, Bragg, I'll say, um, yeah, we did have a little bit of movement with 7 and 10, but if you want to uh, break down the welterweights for us. Yes, sir. Of course, Tyrone Woodley is the UFC, heavyweight, uh, UFC welterweight champion. He'll be having his rematch with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who is the number one contender for that title, uh, coming up as well. Unless you're telling me that fight's been postponed as well. I haven't heard that. No, that one is still live. <laughs> All right. Uh, of course, the big the big jump, uh, the big move in the welterweight uh, division is Jorge Masvidal moving up to number seven. And then he beat Donald Cerrone moving down to number 10 um, in our welterweight ranking. Just, uh, again, it was an impressive performance by Masvidal. We talked about it at length last week. Uh, just uh, uh, he, he called him out. And he did the job, and uh, I think he's really deserving of this uh, top seven ranking. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what Masvidal does next. Uh, somebody like Damian Maya, who's sitting at number four, would be a good fight. How about uh, Robbie Lawler and Jorge Masvidal? I think that's a barn burner waiting to happen right there. Yeah, I mean, how about the fact that Nick Diaz was offered – Robbie Lawler, who signed the fight, and 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 also Damian Maya, and rejected both of them from Dana White. So we'll we'll keep you posted. And and then Nick Diaz uh, was granted his boxing license in the state of California as well. So don't be surprised. Maybe he's going to fight Conor Nick, McGregor in a boxing match. I was who knows? just going to say that that could be something that could be brewing. But in the lightweight, Conor McGregor is still the king. Khabib is number two. He's undefeated. He wants McGregor. There is no other change in that division. So let's move to the featherweights, Bragg, where we at the Ultimate Fight Show still recognize Conor McGregor as the featherweight champion until Jose and Max or someone fight. But Bragg, um, actually, I just did that for you. There's no change in the featherweight division either. So if you want to do the bantamweight division... Yeah, of course. The new bantamweight champion of the world, of course, is Cody Garbrandt. Um, He is the UFC champion. He will be not be fighting Dominic Cruz next. He will be fighting the number, the two band in the division, Mr. T.J. Dillashaw. Uh, They will be hosting the Ultimate Fighter against each other, and will be fighting at the end of that uh, coming up in the spring and early summer. That's going to be a hell of a fight. Dominic Cruz, on the other hand, um, I don't believe David announced uh, a next fight for him yet. I may be mistaken, but uh, he is currently number three in our rankings at bantamweight. And I'm sure he'll get, yeah. after his fight and after the TJ and Cody fight, I have a feeling you're going to see Dominic Cruz back in that title hunt. For sure. Um Let's go to the flyweight for the men. Demetrius Johnson, the longtime champion, nine defenses. Um, there's really no one there that can touch him. And obviously the number two contender is someone who he's beaten three, Joseph Benvedia. He's already beat him twice. Uh, and no one can really touch him. It's a shame that there's not, that one of them can't move up or that there's not a hundred and a lower division or something, which that would suck though because of the lower divisions. The point is, is that Ben Vadias could be a champion if Demetrius Johnson wasn't in that division. No other change there. Let's move to the, band, the women's bantamweight. Amanda Nunes, champion. She will take on Val Shevchenko, who defeated Juliana Pena. They swap spots. 
on our rankings. And uh, Tan, uh, I mean, um, Yana Kunitskaya makes her debut at number 10, 9 and 2 in her campaign. Bragg, you want to talk about the straw weights with Yoana? Yeah, of course. Uh, the champion and one of the best pound for pound fighters overall in the world is Joanna Jedrechik. Um, one day I will get that name right. I'm going to shock the world. Um, of course, her <laughs> next fight is going to be. <laughs> um, yeah, she, she's, uh, of course, the number one straw weight in the world. We've got the aforementioned Jessica Andrade moving up to number four um, in our rankings. I believe she was number the six only before. Yeah. Sorry? I said, yeah, yeah it's, uh, that was the only change in that division. Um, but I'll tell you, that, that strawweight division, again, much like the featherweight division in uh, the, the men's side, I'm sorry, the flyweight division on the men's side, uh, you know, you've got such a dominant champion there. That The rest of that division is pretty stacked and pretty good, but it's just the same shame that nobody can get uh, through and challenge, Joanna. Absolutely. Um, Pound for pound list didn't change, so we're not going to go through it. Go to the Facebook page, look at all the complete rankings along with the number of title defenses, and we will have uh, their last month's previous rank in parentheses if they, or or we'll put up, yeah, where it was if they moved up or down. So you'll be able to see that in the next week on the Facebook page. Bragg, uh, you want to tell them again where that where they can find that? Of course, it's facebook.com slash the ultimate fight show. Uh, you can search us. Uh, we're right there. Uh, our logo's up as a picture. You can click on it. Uh, tell us hi. Uh, look through some of the pictures. We need to get some of those updated. We've been a little slack on that. But uh, yeah, facebook.com slash the ultimate fight show. Absolutely. Let's talk a little sweet science here at the ultimate fight show. segment here at the ultimate fight show not a lot of news this kind this time of year as usual in the sweet science it takes a couple months to marinate some of these big fights that we're going to see in the middle and towards the end of the year so let's just go through the rankings on the pound for pound list first and then we'll break down this weekend's two fights as we gear up towards more things happening in March with Triple G and others set to return. Bragg, I'll start us off with the notables. Shinzuki Yamanaka, Mikey Garcia coming off a fantastic win. Same with his Randy Lara early in the year, both winners. Danny Garcia, he's got a date coming with Keith Thurman very soon. Adonis Stevenson, Carl Frampton, who just took an L to Leo Santa Cruz, which we will update that. Tim Bradley, and Kel Brook. And then now we get to the main list. Brad, you want to take us 10 through 6? I will. As you mentioned, number 10 ranked fighter in the world, Mr. Keith Thurman, uh, getting ready for Danny Garcia. I'm really looking forward to that fight. Uh, number 9 is Guillermo Rogendahl, 17-0 with 11 knockouts. Number 8, 
Mr. Manny Pacquiao, 58-62 with 38 knockouts. Number seven is uh, Vasil Lamachenko, 7-1 with five KOs. This is the guy I think is going to be the breakthrough fighter of the year for 2017. And number six, uh, one of the top fighters of the world, Mr. Canelo Alvarez, 48-1 and 1 with 34 knockouts. Sergey Kovalov coming off of his very close and controversial loss of his light heavyweight title to Andre Ward is at five. Terrence Bud Crawford at four. Triple G at three. Chocolate Tito at two. And still at the top of the mountain, last year's man who put everything on the line. The biggest gamble, the biggest fight, the biggest risk. And that's why he's at the top of the mountain. That's Andre Ward, 31-0, 15 knockouts. You can see that list at Facebook.com slash The Ultimate Fight Show. Now, Bragg, let's uh, talk about this week's two fights. Not, not a lot, just a little something. We got uh, Rasheed Warren, as you recall, um, member of the Olympic team, gold medal against Zanat Zakhyanov. Now, this is a fight where um, Rasheed Warren, you know, he uh, – He's looking to keep his 122 strap WBA. Zanat is a guy who's an up and comer, but not a lot, really not a lot of tape on this guy. And so, uh, just for that, I think that the the smart play here is Rasheed Warren to show that amateur pedigree and win a wide unanimous decision here Saturday Saturday night. Bragg, what do you think? Yeah, I think overall Warren does get the job done uh, with the decision. I'm not sure how wide it's going to be, but uh, keep an eye out on Zanat because he has got a distinct power advantage in this fight. I think he's got a uh, he, he's had a 21 fight winning streak. I made note of that, and th- he's got a lot of power. And of course, we all know you know one punch is all it takes. But Warren is the better boxer, and I think that's what he's going to have to do. He's going to have to uh, take advantage of that and his skill. Uh, put on a little bit of a boxing lesson, but I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be as wide as you think it is, but I believe he does get a unanimous decision victory. And then we got uh, Robert Easter versus Louise Cruz for the IDF 135-pound title. We just saw what Mikey Garcia did in that division after the long layoff. He's the real guy to beat at 135. Um, but Easter, he's been a good – he's been a good uh, – champion, good belt holder, and I think he'll get the job done with the UD on Saturday. Bragg? Yeah, I agree, too. I think he um, actually stops him uh, late in the fight. I was going to say about the ninth round, but um, I think it's going to be a pretty nice nice fight for Easter, a little bit of a showcase. Uh, Cruz has got some power. He's going to have to watch out for that big right hand, but uh, I think Easter gets the uh, TKO victory in the ninth or tenth round. Absolutely. And uh, that's really it for the sweet science. Like I said, not a lot of stuff happening in the month of January and February as we gear up towards the March, which is really the the start of boxing in, you know, the U.S. and around the world. And, And we'll be sure to have Al Bernstein back on the show to break down a couple of those early big fights like Klitschko, Joshua, Triple G, and Jacobs, et cetera. So keep posted for that. Let's, uh, 
let's get to the UFC, Brad. We're, we're flying through this show. You know, we knew it was going to be a Super Bowl, Super Bowl hangover show and kind of <laughs> just get this out here and, you know, get done with it. But uh, let's go UFC 208. We got uh, – this is coming from, I believe – yeah, it's in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, so you know it's going to be bumping. And we're going to break down nine fights on this card, which is huge. We, we usually don't break that many fights down, but again, because it's the first real big UFC event of the year, we'll do it. We'll start with Uncle Creepy, Ian McCall, Jared Brooks, undefeated. We previewed this fight before, Bragg, if you remember, uh, and Brooks ended up pulling out of the fight with a injury late or, or he didn't make weight. One of the two, the fight was called off. I think you liked Brooks or, or no, you liked uh, creepy. I liked Brooks. Has anything changed? Who are you going with in this one? Uh, no, I, I think, uh, I think we finally get to see this fight. I think uh, uncle creepy uh, went through the uh, unanimous decision here. I think he's able to um, out grapple it. It's going to be a close fight. I wouldn't be shocked to see, Brooks be able to get a few shots in and hurt hurt Ian McCall, but uh, I think McCall wins this fight. He's got the experience, and uh, I think he outlasts Brooks for a unanimous decision victory. Yeah, I'm going to go the other way this time. I'm going to go with Brooks. He's undefeated. He's uh, he was going into that fight. Something happened. Now he's had time, a couple more months to work on the game plan. I think he'll go in there. And like you said, it will be a very close fight. I think Brooks wins a split decision in the end. Let's go to the lightweights. We got Nick Lentz, 27 and seven against Islam Makinath, 13 and one. Bragg, tough kid in Islam coming from the Middle East, looking to make a name for himself over here, taking on Nick Lentz, a guy who's kind of been a middle of the road, kind of guy. How do you see this one playing out? Who's going to get their career jump-started in 2017 with a W here? Yeah, I really like uh, this Islam kid, uh, Mekovic, or Mekachev. I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce his last name, but then again, I can't pronounce anybody, it seems like. Uh, (laughs) I really like this kid. I think he does enough, and I think he's going to get a uh, decision victory over Nick Lentz here. It's not going to be a much exciting fight, but he's going to do enough to get the victory. Yeah, I'm actually going the same way. I think uh, he'll grind it out, get a two two rounds to one, and, and get the W. Let's go with uh, Wilson Rees against Yuta Sasaki. Flyweight fight. Guy looking to make a name, maybe splash into the top ten. Uh, Sasaki 19-3 and three with a six-inch height advantage over the five-foot-four Wilson Rees. This guy's 5'10", 125 pounds, Yuta Sasaki. I don't even know how – I'm 5'10", and I weigh 215 pounds. But, you know, I, I don't understand that. But uh, I'll go with Sasaki if he can uh, – if he doesn't pass out to uh, use that reach and maybe uh, maybe get a submission here in the second round. Bragg? Yeah, this this is actually a tough fight for me to call. I want to pick Reese. I, I really do. Uh, but that reach advantage, that size advantage, Saki's going to come in with, uh, that's really tipping my scale, uh, no pun intended. Uh, so I'm going to take Sasaki to get a, get a victory in this fight by TKO in the second round. 
All right, and I'm going with the sub in the second round. Now let's go to Bilal Muhammad, ten and two against Randy Brown, nine and one. These are welterweights. These are big welterweights, Bragg. Six two for Brown, five eleven, but stocky for Muhammad. I don't know if I can pick a guy named Islam in the last fight and then pick a guy named Muhammad in the next one and still call myself uh, an American. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Randy Brown here to win this one uh, by knockout in the first round. Actually, yeah, I'm going with Brown, too. I think he gets a stoppage in the late first, early second also. All right. Let's – uh. Let's move on to some names that maybe everyone knows now for you listeners out there. We'll go with Jim Miller, 28-8, and eight, Poyer, 20-5. and five. Two guys who are so well-rounded on the mat, can strike, can sub. Really, Brad, this fight could go anywhere and end in any way. How do you see it going on Saturday night when it counts? I think these two guys are going to lay it out of the line. As much as I love Jim Miller, I, I think his best days are behind him. Poirier's a guy who has a lot going for him right now. Uh, he still seems he seems to get better with uh, every fight that he's able to, and I think he's going to beat Jim Miller here. I think he gets it done with a submission in the third round. Yeah, I, I went with a submission in the second round. I think that uh, for all the reasons you said, Miller – the guy's been in 30. This is going to be his 37th fight. He, I mean, I remember this dude fighting 15 years ago, and he's still relevant, which shows that he's a tough guy. But, again, Poirier, a little, little younger, a little longer, maybe wants it a little more. I'm going to go with him. Glover Texera, Jared Cannoner, light heavyweight. Cannoner's 9-1, Texera 25-5. We got him ranked. I believe fifth or sixth by the Ultimate Fight Show. Cannoner, I don't know if he has cannon in his hand. He's going to need one because Glover is well-rounded, heavy-handed, and has a decent chin. How do you see it happening, Bray? Yeah, I, and let's just say this: I love Cannoner's nickname, the Killer Gorilla. Um, just a mm-hmm. fantastic nickname. You know how much I love the nicknames, but yeah. This is going to be a an interesting fight. Every bone in my body wants to pick Glover Teixeira in this fight to win by knockout in the first round. Um, Canero has his uh, his level of competition just has not been there like Glover has. He's thought that Glover has fought the best of the best. In the UFC, he's been there a while. He's still got dynamite in his hands. I think he connects early, and I think he knocks out uh, Jordan in the first round, Jared in the first round, rather, uh, to win this fight. Yeah, I I had Glover in the second round by knockout, and I think now I'm switching to Canyonier because um, I like his nickname, and um, – you know, Glover's been knocked out a couple times now. This guy looks like he's heavy-handed. And maybe, again, being younger and athletic, first first time on a, real, on a pay-per-view card, I think he's going to step up and show, try to live up to that big nickname. So I'm going to go with uh, Canyonaire to get uh, Glover out of there in the first round. Upset of the night by knockout. 
Well, keep in mind this. Uh, his only loss came to Sean Jordan back in 2015, and that was by KO. So he can get knocked out, um, you know, if he gets connected with anyway, it. So, yeah. Uh, just keep that in mind. I like I said, I, this could fight. This fight could go either way, but I just like Glover a little better. Yeah. Let's move on to uh, Tim Bosch, twenty and ten against Jacare Sosa, twenty three and four. Both guys ranked in the top ten of the Ultimate Fight Show, respectively. Sosa four, Bosch six. Bragg, this is a tough fight, man. Both guys, Bosch, we know how hard this guy hits. And he's got a granite chin. Uh, Souza, though, is just so smooth, so athletic, so many ways to win. I'm going to go with Souza to get the job done by submission in the second round. Greg? Yeah, I actually agree. I think uh, Jacare gets the job done. Jacare is a guy who, if it weren't for Yoel Romero just being a little hotter, should be getting a title shot in the middleweight division. I think a win here solidifies that. Um, spot as the next uh, contender. I like Sosa also to get an impressive submission victory as well. Which brings us now to the co-main event. Eric Brunson, 16-4 and four, against the Spider, the GOAT. Anderson Silva, 33-8, and eight, ranked number eight by the Ultimate Fight Show. In reality, the winner of this fight will be ranked number eight. We at the Ultimate Fight Show are probably in the minority of still having Anderson Silva on our top ten. Most people have Brunson in that spot. What do you know? They're going to settle it on Saturday night. We'll find out if the Ultimate Fight Show, me and Bragg, were right by having Silva there at eight, or if we were wrong and all the other networks and pundits were right by having Brunson there at eight. Bragg, Nothing needs to be said about Anderson Silva except for two things. How focused is he on this fight was his training camp. If those two things, if the answer to both of those things are focused and great, Derek Brunson is going to be in real trouble on Saturday night. If the answer isn't either one of, isn't those two responses, Anderson Silva could get beat by a guy that I would have bet my life on five years ago couldn't even have hit him with a punch. Bragg, how do you see it going down Saturday night? You know, this is a very tough fight to call. Uh, You hear Anderson Silva, you automatically think, you know, oh, you know, that's an easy pick. Uh, Not necessarily so anymore. Uh, And Derek Brunson is a talented young fighter. Now, he is coming off a knockout loss to Robert Whitaker uh, back in November. Uh, Fought two months before that and knocked out Uriah Hall. Um, He's got knockouts. Uh, I'm sorry, his last four victories have all been come by TKO or knockout. Uh, he's got power in his hands. He's got a lot of power in his hands. And he's you know, a pretty big guy for the division. Anderson Silva, though, he, like you said, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. He, he can't be denied. But what does he have left? You know, we haven't seen him fight in, um, you know, since he lost Daniel Cormier back in July, of course, and that was a last-minute fight, and that was a light heavyweight. So we could probably sweep that under the rug without any issues, but 
fact of the matter is he lost to Michael Bisbee last February. Um, and then before that, he, he got, you know, there was a no contest for Nick Diaz, then he lost twice to Chris Weidman. Um, both fluky, fluky circumstances. Is this the same Anderson Silva we've seen before? I, I don't think it is. Um, we've seen fighters get old overnight. Uh, he didn't look the same. Again, the Daniel Cormier fight, I think, is an anomaly. He had Michael Bisping beat. He wasn't able to capitalize. Bisping was saved by the bell, and Bisping came back and won that fight. It, you know, I almost feel like what we're watching in Anderson Silva this Saturday night is uh, somebody that's in the twilight of their career, somebody like we saw with Muhammad Ali, where he came back for a few fights and just did not look the same like the same fighter. I'm taking Derek Brunson to upset Anderson Silva to stop him in late the first round. It pains me to say that. I hate to say it, but I think Anderson stays behind him. I think I don't need to see him fight again. He has nothing to prove. Um, I think this night, tomorrow or Saturday night, might be the last time we see Anderson Silva compete in the octagon. And I think he'll be your Hall of Fame inductee come July for the U.S. <laughs> yeah, I like how they do that immediately instead of making you wait five years like in boxing or any other sport. Um, I'm not going to recap anything that you said just because it's all applicable. However, I'm going to choose to focus on one thing for my in my decision for making the pick that I'm going to make. And that is the short notice fight that he took with Daniel Cormier going all, going the distance, breaking Cormier's rib and taking the fight on short notice at light heavyweight against the champion. He still looked okay. He looked like the injuries from and the, the memory of the two fights with Weedman is done. He, again, yes, he lost to Bisbing. He also knocked Bisbing out at the end of the second round. Um, and then the fight with Diaz, he won. And both of them actually positive for substances that were later determined to be marijuana for Diaz. And I believe it was some kind of sex drug for like, like Viagra or something for Anderson Silva. So I'm not going to really read too much into the tarnishing or do you think he, no, I think that the dude was coming off of an injury and I know that coming off of my knee injury and that it lowers your testosterone. And maybe this dude was taking some pills or something so that him and his wife could get things started again. I don't know. The point is, is that I'm going to choose to believe that if you can go in there on short notice and hang with DC, who's arguably one of the top five fighters in the world in any weight class, I think you got enough enough for for Derek Brunson. Don't get me wrong. Brunson's heavy handed. If he connects on Anderson's chin, Anderson gets on the ground. That next punch that comes from Brunson's knocking him out. I'm going to choose to believe that. I'm right with how I think it's going to play out on Saturday. I think it's going to be 
touch and go for the first minute or two, no one really engaging. I, I think Bronson's going to make a big move, get Anderson in trouble. Anderson's going to weather the storm, lose the round. And in the second round, much like he's done in a lot of fights, Dan Henderson comes to mind. I think he's going to start seeing the spots, picking his angles, and put some combinations together. And I think Anderson Silva knocks Derek Brunson out in the second round with a series of well-timed precision shots and reminds us of how great he used to be. But where I do agree with you is that I think if Anderson gets a solid win like that, he may, this may be the last time we see him in the octagon. Again, the last four fights, two L's to Weedman, no contest, and the loss of Bisping by decision. That's four bad ways to end up spectacular, arguably the greatest career ever in MMA. So I think he's looking for that W to go off on a high note, and I think he gets it Saturday night. Greg, anything you want to touch on, follow up before we move on to the main event? You know, deep down inside, uh, don't get me wrong, deep down inside, I really hope Anderson Silva wins this fight. I think Anderson Silva being back into it in a competitive nature is good for the UFC. It's good for me because I love watching him fight. Uh, I want to see Anderson Silva win that fight, and I very may very well uh, shoot you a text in the next day or two and change my decision here. I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> so okay. if you're hearing this now. It happens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like we haven't done it before, but yeah, it's it's going to be a close fight. And, and you know, you touched on how you know he weather he's going to weather the storm in the first round. And you think he comes back, finds his range, and takes care of business in the second round. I actually rewatched the second Chael Sonnen fight uh, last night. Uh, UFC had it posted it on Facebook as their free fight of the week, and it, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Chael Sonnen mm-hmm. took him down six seconds into the first round and kept him there. Uh, Silva had no answer for him on the ground. He was essentially defending the whole time. Second round, he was making able to make the adjustment, was not stuffed a couple of takedown attempts. And, of course, when Sauna missed the spinning back fist, he capitalized against the cage, and Silva finished him off. So I could definitely see that happening again. I, I could, be, could it be – Unintentional foreshadowing by the UFC posting that fight, and then you mentioning the same exact thing. Strange sure. things that happen in this world, and um, I'm just looking forward to seeing it. And anytime Anderson Silva fights, we talked about it before, it's an event. Uh, the world used to stop to watch Anderson Silva fight, like he used to stop to watch Mike Tyson, and they used to stop to watch Muhammad Ali, and they would stop to watch Ronda Rousey more recently. Uh, Anderson Silva is that guy. I want him to be that guy again, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens on Saturday night. That wasn't similar to a main event. We actually still have a main event after that fight, so we'll let uh, Bruce Buffer take us in. This is the moment UFC fans around the world have been waiting for. It is time for the inaugural debut title for the women's featherweight division. Holly Holm, former Rousey killer, bantamweight champion of the world, 
now gets a shot coming off of two L's and a W then. So she's lost. She's only one and two, one and two in her last three fights, but Holly Holm gets her shot at a weight class. that's probably a little bit more suited towards her weight and height, but she's got to take on Jermaine D. Ramat Radami, who is the most decorated Muay Thai striker in the world. Bragg, this is a this is a striker's dream as far as women throwing down. Um, I believe that this fight is actually going to be the version of Gina Carano and Cyborg that we hoped we were going to see when those two fight, fought so many years ago. Let's talk a little bit about this fight, the circumstances in which they both got this fight and then break down the fight. Because as we know, Chris Cyborg is the top female fighter in the world at this weight class. She was supposed to be in this fight against Holly Holm and said that she medically and physically could not make the weight that quick from her last cut, which was down to 140, which we saw on the program out uh, outside the lines where they showed how hard it was for her to make weight, the crying, the agony, the pain. She did real damage to her body, and they said you need nine months to recover. Instead of waiting for her, the UFC has disrespected Cyborg the way she's been disrespected by most people because she's not good-looking, but she dominates, and she is the toughest chick in the world, and this should be her title fight and her coming-out party, and it's a shame that it's not. And I just thought that that needed to be said first. Bragg, tell the fans what we got in this fight, in this matchup, and then give me how you think it's going to go down. Yeah, it, a lot of people might be surprised. This is Redanami's fifth fight in the UFC uh, since 2013. Uh, she she fought, and she, right now she's currently 3-1. Uh, and one. Her only loss came back in 2013 to uh, the bantamweight champion, Amanda Nunes. Uh, when she started her run, uh, she she's a killer. She she's got a lot of power in her hands. Her last two fights in March of 2015 and then in May of 2016 have been knockout wins. Uh, but a lot like Holly Holm, this is probably her natural weight class. Uh, she uh, is a kickboxing and Muay Thai champion. Um, she holds the women's record for consecutive victory at, with victories with 37 in a row. Uh, just a fantastic feat. And this is going to be a fight that, uh, with two women, superior strikers that are kind of coming in there and just beat the hell out of each other for our entertainment. This featherweight division uh, is open, is going to open up doors for a lot of women uh, to come over from the Muay Thai ranks, to come over from the kickboxing ranks. Um, and even from the boxing ranks, um, it's really going to be an exciting thing to watch happen. Of course, as you mentioned, uh, Cyborg, uh, arguably the best women's fighter in the world right now, uh, just just having some issues. We really hope she can work that out because I'd love to see her in the UFC octagon again uh, fighting a significant fight because that, that's where the money is. Uh, that's where... Uh, that's where she needs to be. She needs to be at the top of that division fighting for a title and defending that title if and when she can win that fight. 
Uh, this fight here is very interesting. As great as Redonimini is, I'm tending to pick the favorite here at Holly Holm. Uh, just, uh, just correction real quick. Uh, I'm looking up the lines. Uh, uh, she, Holly Holm is actually the underdog in this fight. Very small. It's minus 125 to minus 105. But Holly Holm is the underdog. Really? Wow. Okay. Um, I, that must have flipped. Cause I could have sworn I, thought Holm, I saw Holm was the favorite uh, a few days ago. Uh, regardless, um, I'm picking Holly Holm to win this fight. I think that's going to be a tough battle, but I think Holmes' experience against in the UFC against the bit the better competition in the cage and in the mixed martial arts realm um, is going to be the difference here. I think she's able to. Um, she can. I know Holmes, especially since the Misha Tate fight, has been working on her ground game. I know that's something that she said she needed to improve. Her her team wanting her to improve, and I think she's done that. She's a, she's a very intelligent fighter. I think this is a fight that could end up going to the ground, and I whoever's able to handle themselves better on the ground um, will win this fight. I think that's going to be Holly Holm. I see her winning this fight by TKO stoppage in the second round. Wow. All right. I mean, that's a, that's a lot. I, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was. Don't. The thing that's got me perplexed here is the fact that Holly Holm is such a dominant boxer, is such a dominant striker. She's the most decorated women's boxer of all time. And going in there against the best Muay Thai female fighter whose only loss in the octagon is to the reigning bantamweight champion who I think is the best female fighter in the world and could beat either one of these women, and she's already beat one of them. I I, I don't know. If Romedy takes the fight to the ground, Holly Holm was basically – dominated and submitted by a small Misha Tate who really is a 125-pound fighter. Now you've got a full-fledged 145-pound woman in there who's, who's been in there with Nunez who destroyed the girl that you beat and made, became famous on. It, it all just, Ramada is going to stand there and trade in a, in a striking match. She's going to get beat. Because Holly Holm knows how to throw her hands. And she's actually pretty good with the leg kick, if you want to ask Rhonda. However, if they get up against the cage or in the clinch, that's where Romedy's going to go to town on the body, the kidneys, the elbows. This could be a re- – I mean, this is a fight that has so many different ways it could go. So just to be contrarian, I'm going to pick Romedy to win this fight by knockout with knees and elbows in the third round to become the first female 145-pound champion. But, again, I also think I could see your prediction and the way you were calling this fight. I could see both outcomes. Anything you want to say on what I just said? No, I mean, I really think this is a – 
isn't even fight. I think it could go either way. Um, again, before the week's out, I might be uh, shooting you a text and changing my pick here to not so much with this fight. I really think Home learned a lot from that Misha Tate loss. I think that was a wake-up call for her. Like I said, it's one of those things that uh, she realizes there's a deficiency there, and it's something that she's going to have to, if she wants to get better and wants to compete in the UFC, uh, she's going to have to, um, you know, work on that clinch, and she's going to have to work on that uh, grappling game. Um, I, I just I just see her showing the improvement that somebody like Ronda Rousey never did. Um, you know, I, th- I think Holly Holmes, is, she's in a great camp, of course, um, mm-hmm. you know, training training there in Albuquerque with uh, Greg Jackson. Winkle so, John. Yeah, 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 the Jackson Winkle John Academy there. Um, I I just like home to be come out to be the better all around uh, fighter Saturday night and to win that title. And I think we are going to hopefully see her and Cyborg showdown uh, by the end of the year. Yeah, and I mean, think about this, too. You have history that could also be made. She could become Holly Holm with a victory, becomes the first woman ever to become champion in two different divisions. So this very easily could have been Ronda Rousey had her train not got blown up and derailed. So, you know, a little bit of history there as well. And that's really our show for boxing and MMA this week. Next week, of course, we have the, uh, the return of the last emperor, maybe for the last time as he takes on uh, meathead Mitrioni in a, in a serious showdown brag. I know how much you like meathead. I don't want to give away, I, I, but uh, what, what are your early thoughts on that one? I, I love this fight. I, I really do. Of course, Fedor, greatest heavyweight of all time, uh, going up against Matt Mitrione, who, you know, for all the theatrics and for all the entertaining that he does, he has come so far. I mean, coming really straight from the football field uh, into the ultimate fighter with just a few, just a little bit of training. He's come so far and has become such a better fighter than he was. And, Really a good all-around fighter. Uh, Mitchell's not a guy you can sleep on here. Uh, we've seen Fedor get beat and get hurt before. Um, so this is a fight that's really interesting, and we're going to talk about it more next week as Bellator brings back the last emperor. But, yeah, man, I, I'm pumped and excited for that fight. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait to see how it turns out. Absolutely. All right. Let's uh we we've we've held off long enough. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. Let's talk about what happened. Um since you're emotionally invested and I'm not, I I feel like I'll break it down and then you can tell me how you feel. And then so New England minus three. Everyone knows that I bet on them if you watch the show or listen to the show. First quarter went about how I thought, Bragg. You know, if you listen to the show last week, we talked about the fact that New England in their six previous Super Bowls had never scored in the first quarter, 
And I also alluded to the fact that I thought the defense for uh, New England was going to neutralize that offense early. And 0-0 end of the first quarter, you couldn't have asked for a better first quarter as far as I'm concerned with how I thought the, the, the I was about to say the fight, the game was going to go. <laughs> Second quarter, Atlanta takes advantage of a, of a strip, a, a fantastic strip. The fact that Bill Belichick alluded to the, that he thought the Atlanta Falcons were the best stripping team in football kind of makes you wonder why Blunt wasn't ready for that. But, you know, that took three points off of New England's. They were in, they were in the, you know, almost on, in the red zone. Should have been an easy field goal. Instead, Matty Ice takes him down the field. Freeman gets in, and it's 7 nothing. Next drive. Down the field. Three and out. Atlanta comes down. Answers. Great, great touchdown. Catch in the back of the end zone. Was that your tight end? Yeah, that was Hooper, the young tight end. Yeah, young tight end filling in for Trulio. And, uh, was able to get them up 14 nothing. Now, this is where I got a little nervous. Brady driving them down, red zone, and then forces that, that ball into that tight window, and boom, pick six to the house, 21 nothing, hot Lana. And now this is when things started to get a little like, whoa, the last time that happened was when Peyton Manning threw a pick six and New Orleans won the Super Bowl. So – that was in the back of my mind. Brady comes down, has a great drive. I thought it was going to be 21-7, holding call, negates James White's run, and they settle for 21-3 at the half. Now, Bragg, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you in now. At halftime, 21-3, take me what's through what's going on in your home and with your circle. Well, yeah. You know, I think we had talked about how we thought the game needed to start for both teams, and you called it as far as the New England defense stepping up, holding the Falcons in the first quarter, and the fact that New England seems to have trouble in the first quarter. I had said that I thought that the Falcons needed to get a stop early, jump on them a couple times, and it's exactly what happened in the second quarter. Uh, So... I actually texted another buddy of mine. I said, uh, it's a three-quarter game. Uh, the second quarter started out as well as it could for Atlanta. That first half, well, going into halftime, that first half, I, I was feeling so good, man. I was feeling great. <laughs> I don't know if it was the euphoria of the half, first half, the excitement I had, uh, my wife's chili that she made for me. I don't know what it was. I mean, I even enjoyed – Lady Gaga's performance during halftime. It was just, I was oh, I feeling bet. that damn good. Uh, everything was rolling. It was just, it was the Atlanta Falcons that showed up against Green Bay, had, had jumped on them early. Um, as you mentioned, you know, yeah. New England got that field goal late in the first half to put them on the board. Still wasn't worried at that point. Uh, but I still, in the back of my mind, I wasn't throwing texts out to everybody. I wasn't getting excited on Facebook and Twitter. I was still a little reserved because I'd seen the Falcons uh, give games away yeah. before. And 
Well, let's, and, and, and I'll let you take and, it. And, from here. And, yeah, you know, I just want to say that again. In, in you know, twenty-one to three, in my house, my wife doesn't like anything but boxing and MMA. So she didn't really. She knows who was playing, and she knows who Tom Brady is, but she probably couldn't name you one player on either team that's not Tom Brady. So. Excuse me. I went into the kitchen. She's like, how's it going? And I was like, oh, it's not looking good. You know, it's 21-3 at the half. And I swear my wife looks at me and says, don't worry. They're going to come back and win. And then she goes to bed. So I'm sitting there like, okay, my wife, who knows nothing about this sport, <laughs> just told me that something's going to happen that's never happened ever in 50 Super Bowls. And that I should just be cool and not be sweating the fact that I have money on the game, et cetera, et cetera. So now let's get to the third quarter. Atlanta gets the ball first, goes three and out. New England gets the ball. You think they're going to do something. Eh, wrong. Punt. Not looking good. Falcons come down, score another touchdown on the next drive. It's 28-3. to three. Get the trophy out. Wheel, wheel it down to the locker room. Art Blank, the owner of Home Depot who owns the Atlanta Falcons, is up in the owner's booth. I thought he was going to fly through the stadium. He was so happy. You know, not looking good. And then something happened. You know, Tom Brady, he had that look in his eye like, okay, what's going on here? Let's. Let's start doing playing Patriot football. And you saw a glimpse of it, Bragg. And I had to go back and rewatch it, go back to that second half, I mean, that first half run when James White took the ball down to the four and the holding call brought it back. You saw a glimpse that James White was going to be an intricate part of Bill Belichick's game plan in the second half. And sh- slowly but surely, Little passes, six yards here, eight yards here, ten yards here. And the next thing we know, James White, and it's 21 to not, 28 to 9. Then you get the extra point. And it's Shank, Gostowski, guy doesn't miss anything. Shanks it, it's 21, it's 28 to 9. And I remember getting a text from my cousin saying, this game blows. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, okay. So then, I mean, Falcons go three and out. New England comes down, good drive, ends up getting stalled again with some good defense. Probably the last time I thought that the Atlanta defense played how they were playing in that game. I would say from, from the, the time they held New England to the field goal, which made the score 28-12 to 12 with 10 minutes left in the game. Huge for multiple reasons. Gets them within two scores and two two point conversions. And again, things are starting to click. We move to, and that happened, that touchdown came with two minutes left. Or I mean, the first one came with two minutes left in the third quarter. So 17 minutes left in the game. Keep that number in your mind 28 12. And then, in my opinion, probably I'm not the only one, but the play of the game, the moment of the game, so many of them, this was the one that stood out. High tower, Freeman doesn't block, blindside Matty Ice, and 
the sack fumble. Recovered. Ball on the 25 now with eight minutes left. New England goes in, scores. It's now 28-18. to 18. The awesome two-point conversion snap to White makes it 28-20, Bragg, with six minutes to play. Too much What's time. going on in your, in your head? Because I think that this is when you and I started communicating was 28-20, and I said, I don't know the exact thing I sent you, but I said, are you nervous yet? Question mark. And so tell, a- take – Take me now where you're at. It's 28-26 minutes left. Do you still think that Atlanta is going to, you know, take care of business, or are you already starting to feel that, like, oh, this is slipping away now? I I think I returned your text, and I said that's why I haven't – this is why I haven't said anything previously tonight. It, yeah. I, I could, you, the momentum, of course, it shifted. You could feel it. I mean, it, it was it was completely obvious, and – I'm beginning to get nervous. My fingernails are almost gone at this point. It's just I'm things are beginning to get a little dicey, as they say. Um, but I still had confidence. I said, you know what? I said the Falcons have done this. All they had to do was drive downfield. They and, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Larry, but didn't they average in the whole game? And like I said, I haven't gone back and looked at any stats. I haven't gone back and looked at any mm-hmm. highlights since. Wasn't the aver- didn't the Falcons rush for an average of like six yards of carry? Six point three. Six point three yeah, yards. They were they you know, were killing them in the first half. Yeah. There was no reason why the Falcons couldn't put together a drive, take off, you know, another good three to four minutes off that clock. All they had to do was kick field goals, make it another two possession game, and that would have been it. And it looked great when Matt Ryan threw well, that ball, and I, you can, you're not going to convince me that he wasn't throwing that ball away, that somehow Julio Jones caught on the sideline, tiptoed or yeah. kept his toes in and bound and made that play. That was the moment I was like, this is it. That, that's it. It's game over. Kick a field goal. Nail the final – put the final nail in the coffin – we got our Super Bowl trophy. It, that was the and, moment and I'm that gonna stop you. the yeah, nerves. I'm going to stop you there because that <laughs> moment, like for you, no, no, it's good because you took us up to that point. You, you, we forgot about the the Patriots pinned him inside the 10, which was huge. All right, I know I'm, 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 I'm going to drive ahead. So, so anyways, yeah, yeah they, they have a 40-yard pass to, to Freeman. That's what it was. So now they're at midfield. Yeah. Then Julio makes the catch down to the tw- down to the twenty-two. And at that point, when he made that catch, you said how you felt like it was field goal ball game. I I don't know what it was because you know how much I watch sports and all that other stuff. And it's like I wasn't nervous for some reason. I remember saying to myself, "We need a holding call or a sack." And that's the exact two things that happened on the next two plays. Sack, Matt Ryan did the smart thing. People were like, why didn't he throw it away? He couldn't have thrown it away. If he would have tried to throw it away, it would have been another sack fumble. He did the right thing by covering it up. That knocked him back to the 35. And then the next play took him back to to the 45. And then it was out of bounds. And now you're punting the ball away with three minutes left. 
to Tom Brady, who's got all his timeouts, comes down to the field, because now this guy's a little nervous that this thing, he sees the sand on the hourglass coming down. Tom Brady. Which is something he does every game. He always, in the middle of the fourth quarter, he always comes down to the field. Normally, but but yeah, I I get what you're saying. (laughs) He comes down to the field. I I was about to say that because I said the same thing to my buddy, and he's like, yeah, he always does that. So I was just about to throw that in there. He comes down to the field with his wife. You can tell she doesn't want to say anything. Like, she's just like, okay, please, 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 please let him win. So, Julius Edelman makes a Tyreek Evans circus catch. These have traditionally gone against New England, and they go for him. But before he makes that catch, let's talk about third and nine, Tom Brady on the eleven, and throws a, you know, 18-yard pass to Hogan to start the drive. Huge play. Huge play. Then the catch comes from Edelman. He barely catches it, and then it, it just starts. And then the next thing you know, James White's in the end zone, and it's 28-26 to 26 with 57 seconds left. And then the two-point conversion, I will say this, Bragg, in my circle, no one thought that they were going to get the two-point conversion but me. Everyone thought that the game was going to end, that Atlanta was going to call a timeout, which they actually I don't believe they had any at that point, but that they were going to regroup and make a stand, two-point conversion, and Brady just got to the line real fast. When they threw that flag, I'll be honest, I thought New England was offside and that he didn't get in, and he did, and it's 28-28, and now everyone's going crazy. What are you – I remember – I said that I, you and I texted each other and you said, I have no fingernails left was your quote to me. And I said, if they win the coin toss, the game's over. Something along those lines. Um, New England pins them inside the 11 huge, takes them out of field goal range. We're going to overtime. First overtime ever. No one can believe it. New England wins the coin toss. I will say this. I didn't want to jinx it, but when we won the coin toss, I texted my cousin and I said, New England's going to win the Super Bowl right here. Tom Brady's not giving them the ball back. And you could tell Matty Ice was on the sideline saying, just give me the ball once. Tom wasn't going to be denied. And, and the rest is history. He went down the field nine plays, and they win their fifth Super Bowl. Greatest comeback of all time, 31 points in 27 or in 21 minutes to win their fifth Super Bowl. Bragg, uh, uh, w- when they scored, what did it feel like? It it really, I mean, it was, I hate to trivialize it, but it it really felt like my, it, the, it just it sucked the life out of me. It was, it was a heartbreaking experience. I, <sighs> I just sat there and stared at the TV, and mm-hmm. I don't think I moved for about ten minutes. I'm just, you know, I think there's a a meme going around online um, of Homer Simpson stay, sitting there slumped in his couch watching the TV, and it says something like Falcons fans uh, still look like this. Um, 
or the Super Bowl or something along those lines. It's a, it's a pretty funny meme. But that was it. I mean, I was literally – I had no words. I was compl- I was in complete shock at what I'd just seen. And I agree with you. When, when it went into overtime and the coin toss went the Patriots' way, I, I knew they were going to win it. I knew it. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been a big proponent since they made the rule change. So I'm not just saying this now. It's not sour grapes, but I honestly believe that the, the overtime rule, it should be each team has a possession. I do not like – if you're not going to go do sudden death, then make it where I think at least it should each be the team whole at least gets a possession. I think it should be the whole quarter. You, you, you play four 15-minute quarters. You can't give each team a possession like they do in college. Um. And, oh, I'm sorry, I'm watching the Knicks-Clippers game in the background, and they just had to restrain that one of the coaches just tried to punch somebody in the face, and they're taking him out. Yeah, this is nuts. Uh, oh, wow. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, I was like, whoa, Phil Jackson's up now. I don't know what's going on. But anyways, the um, it, it's funny that you said you sat there in disbelief because that's how I sat, but it was the opposite feeling. Like, I sat there, and I was like, do you realize that we just saw the greatest comeback of all time from the greatest quarterback and the greatest coach of all time? It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was just, I was sitting there mesmerized. And then again, like you said, I was, then I started thinking about the Atlanta fans. You came to mind first, but I was like, wow, man, to have, I'm like, this is worse than Cleveland. I'm like, that was worse than the drive. That was worse than the fumble. They were in the Super Bowl and they were up twenty-eight to three against the toughest dude in the room, which is New England, and they let him off the hook. They lost situation you know, in football. All my friends, you know, um, at work and everyone around me, even the ones that ha- were have given me so much grief over over the years, and the ones that were you know, voting against Atlanta this past weekend, especially the Cowboys fans. A lot of Cowboys fans yeah. here in South Carolina. But uh, mm. these guys have just give, have talked so much crap about the uh, Falcons and how they're going to blow it and lose. Those guys, it's almost like they've had sympathy for me. It's like they can't believe it, and they don't really have the heart to give me so much hell. But I will say this: the funny, it's almost funny, but the the person I've heard the most grief from is a Houston Oilers fan, who the first <laughs> thing they told to, said to me when I walked into work Monday morning up. was, "We're finally <laughs> off the hook." Yeah, thank you. Yeah, because uh, Frank Reich, Frank Reich comes yeah. in and scores thirty-eight, um, and I and I try to put no, it up there and yeah. say, "Listen." You won a you you lost, your comeback was against a backup quarterback, um, <laughs> and, and and it's more points and it's like it doesn't matter. This was the Super Bowl. This was the biggest stage, and I can't argue with that. The the Falcons no. had the biggest collapse, the biggest choke in the history of all to me all sports. I don't think there's anything yeah. that compares to that because not only was it over an entire game or even an entire seven game series, it was. Like you said, it was 17 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It was like it was like quarter and a half. 
that the Patriots did what they had to do. And it's it, it's heartbreaking. And I don't know how long it's going to take for the Falcons fans to get over this. Um, I've I thought I think I've done well. I mean, I'm still a little numb. But like I said before, I'm a big boy. I'm getting through it. Um, but it's still, man, it, it's tough. And I think really the only way to get past this is just for the Falcons to come back and compete next year and to really win it. If it would have been any other scenario, if the Falcons would have come in, played a back-and-forth game and lost at the end of the night, so be it. They would have been down mm-hmm. and, you know, wasn't able, wasn't able to come back all the way and lost. So be it. It is what it is. But they, as my dad used to say, uh, they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> I mean, it, it literally mm-hmm. was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And I just, I'm just, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. Um, congratulations to the New England Patriots. I mean, we got beat by the greatest of all time, Tom Brady. Um, yeah. I don't think there's anything else you can say about his greatness. Just a fantastic performance. Uh, the overall New England team, Julian Edelman, I still don't know how he caught that ball. When that ball was tipped, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I cheered up. Yes, that was going to be a defensive stop for the Falcons. They were going to get good field position. And... It just I can't I, he made that catch I, I just can't believe it like you said it was a David Tyree catch um, finally going New England's way just a just an unbelievable game it's and I just yep. wish the results would have been different. <laughs> well, we got about three minutes left, so I, I'm just gonna I, I don't know if you have seen inside the NFL yet, but they did you know the last show after the Super Bowl and. They they recapped it and you know I I watched it again. If you can bear if you can bring yourself to watch it again, Bragg, it's definitely worth it. But I, I just want to leave our fans with this one thing. But um, the uh, in the NFL film, the NFL film guy begins the overtime of the inside the NFL breakdown by saying pressure. It crushes the frail and fortifies the strong. While they showed a picture of Tom Brady walking onto the field and. It's just, I told you, I didn't know, I, I'll be a liar if I told you that I thought it was going to go like that or that they could come back. But when we had our show last, I told you, I said, Tom Brady's going to do something special on Sunday. His mom's there, the cancer, the history, all that stuff. And the guy had every pressure on him, the pressure of a family, a city, a legacy. And they were, and on top of that, you pile up. 28 to 3 with 17 minutes left and he found a way and it to me it was the that's the most pressure I've ever seen an athlete with the exception of Anderson Silva pulling victory from Shale Sonnen after getting beat up for 24 minutes those are the two best performances that I've ever seen of baptism under fire and whether or not you're a New England fan, I'm not. You got to give kudos and props that a six-round kid, skinny kid from Michigan, 
is now the greatest quarterback that ever played the game. And it's something to uh, really admire. So with that, I'm your host, LC, on behalf of Chris Bragg, saying thanks for stopping by for another edition of the Ultimate Fight Show. Good night.